It's Monday. It's it's not quite morning. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's macabre. <laughs> <laughs> I've been <laughs> disgruntled British newscaster. <laughs> Hi, welcome to disgruntled British newscaster in Baghdad today. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, <laughs> welcome to Monday morning, Bacab. Guys, I realize it's not the morning, but I have a valid excuse. On two days ago, <gasps> I remember it like it was yesterday's oh, yesterday. Geez. On April 9th, I made the mistake of moving my body. Uh, and whilst being older than 25 and That's that your resulted, first, your first that was my crime first right and big crime. I stood out of my wheelchair. My tapioca pudding was all finished and I wanted <laughs> oh, more. No. So I got up and I said, I'm going to get my own tapioca and I start to walk and I just, I literally was just walking and my body was like, all right, that's, we've <laughs> enough we've, of this bullshit. <laughs> it's been a good run. Uh, Goodbye. <laughs> and I collapsed in my garage. Can I get a Ooh, hey y'all? How long were you there? <laughs> All the ladies. Were you stuck in the garage for like a while? Yeah, but my life alert helped me out, so we're all good. <laughs> uh, uh no, I was I mean Jenny was right next to me. I just like I just like yeet and she's like, What are you doing? And I was like, You should have nah. skirted. I, yeah, exactly. I yeeted when I should have zagged and Jenny was like, what are you doing? And I was like, this is just me now. <laughs> I am forever stuck <laughs> down here. Turtle turned upside down. So I I don't know what, I, I guess I pulled something or did something to my back, but I was immobile. And today is the first day where I can kind of move, but it was also the first day of my new jab. So Ooh, swerving. I missed the last couple of days to record with little Sconey and the scones town players and <laughs> I gotta tell you, the, theater, the whole truth was pretty yeah, sad everyone was pretty bummed um but don't worry you can see them on carson later tonight uh but i carson. am here now and available so we are getting uh to it just a little behind your regularly scheduled programming so that's why new job new back new yeah, me think of it like when the simpsons Used to get moved back their Halloween special because of uh, Treehouse, baseball of playoffs. Yeah, it's March Madness soon. Mar- or last month, <laughs> it's almost as next year's March Madness. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's April, dudes and dudettes. Welcome to Monday Morning Macabre, the show where me and Scones talk about spooky, scary stuff and do it whilst being disgruntled. BBC newscasters. Jesus Christ! Oh, Jesus Christ! In Baghdad. In Baghdad. In Baghdad. Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ was found in Baghdad. <laughs> He's dead. His dead corpse. <laughs> His dead corpse. Dead. That's that's a double. Uh, that's a double, double unnecessary. It's <laughs> my new English phrase. It's a big double dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dims dim, the bills bury the dims the dome. <laughs> Owner of the Dimsdale Dimadome. Yeah, I think my brain cells are starting to go now. So anyways, fellers and fellettes and fillets, uh, we got we got a spicy McPoggers episode tonight. Ew. Uh, <laughs> what, what's going on? I'm trying to be trendy. I'm trying to talk like the kids on the internet. Scones, um, I went to a therapist and I said, I'm youthful. And they showed me 
an image <laughs> and they said, does this make you feel poggers or sag? And I said, sag. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, uh, anyway. <laughs> enough enough about me. <laughs> What's just happened? But I, but I digress. <laughs> Scones, how are you? How's your last two days been from the ninth to now? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, uh, nothing, my back's, for the most part, uh, hanging in there. So. Fucking rub it in, douche. <laughs> <laughs> my back's been pretty poggers while yours has been sad. <laughs> Mine has been real sad and yours has been pretty pog. Very cool. Uh, I'm going to talk about stuff. <laughs> it's my turn. Um, I have a listener suggestion. <gasps> oh, I love those guys. Yeah, they're my favorite kind of listeners. Um, it's listeners than Henry Kissinger. <laughs> and listeners... Even that's a, a, a kind It's of not a quite, yeah, it's kind of a stretch. <laughs> but they let it through in the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. And Henry uh, was a good sport. Yeah, yeah, he's a nice guy. Um, <laughs> everyone, everyone loves Henry Kissinger. Um, this was I a, name one person. Do it, listener. Name one person who does or does not like Henry Kissinger. <laughs> I'll get take one of each. <laughs> Neapolitan <laughs> ice cream style. Uh, hey, I'm old. Um, I have a. Uh, uh, we got a message from Dakota slash oh, Lucas, classic shitters. classic suggester, and he hit us with a little hizzy hey on God. And what? No, he was like <laughs> he was capping. He was not capping actually. Surprising. Oh, uh, no cap to be found. I searched and searched and searched, and I did not come across a single cap. And he was like, hey, remember the second episode of your podcast? And I was like, I can't remember last week. And he was like, well, you talked <laughs> I about... I don't. He talked about letters, and these these are... <gasps> this is very similar. Oh. Susco! Today, Jesus Christ, we're talking about... <laughs> <laughs> this episode's probably going to be so different from episode two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It'll be nice to look back. Um, but tonight we're talking about the Circleville letters. <gasps> Scones and the Sconettes, or the Sconetown players, or whatever I said. <laughs> we're all wearing all black. All black, everything, play us in. Scones, that guy you got on the uh, the harmonica is really doing a damn good job. Thanks. Well, I had to find the best when we were replacing the alt-right skeleton band we had before. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, times have changed. Going to the Sconetown players. <laughs> that's, that's canon. That's canon, baby. Sconetown players are pog. <laughs> uh, let's get to the nitty-gritty spooky-wooky, Scony. you. So we got a mental floss article. Yeah, hell okay. yes. I went to the dentist last week and they said, and this is a true story. They said, in a few days, your back's going to be fucked. And I said, is this because I didn't floss? Wait, really? <laughs> no, that would be crazy though. I would be like, Jeez. you shouldn't be a, a a tooth person. You should be a back person. <laughs> should be reading tarot cards. They say teeth are my love. Backs are my hobby. 
There's a teeth of my love. Sounds so gross. Teeth of my love. Scontown players, write that down. Uh, so this is a Mental Floss article titled Unknown Sender, The Mystery of the Circleville Letters by Jake Rossin on December 10th, 2020. Uh. <laughs> Let us begin. I want the, I want the, uh, who wants to be a millionaire lights and sound cue now? <laughs> and then it's got like that tense music where it's like, ah. Mary Gillespie had seen enough. Did she see A, a tiny baby boy? <laughs> B. I'm just hammering the A button as hard as I can. <laughs> Do you want to use any of your lifelines? Tiny baby boy. <laughs> Mary Gillespie had seen enough. It was the afternoon of February 7th, 1983, and Gillespie, a school bus driver for the West Falls School District in Circleville, Ohio, had just dropped off one group of children and was headed to pick up another at Monroe Elementary School when she spotted the sign. Uh. It had been placed along her bus route at the intersection of Seoto Derby, Seoto Derby Road oh, and, sheesh. and Five Points Pike. Gillespie parked the bus, exited, and approached the handwritten sign, which made an obscene remark about her young daughter, Tracy. Oh, I don't... Yeah. Weird. Pretty weird. Not poggers to do that. We we haven't talked about this, have we? Um, Have you have we done a Circleville Letters episode? Uh, I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> Gillespie had been receiving such harassment for years, <laughs> typically via letters in the mail, and she knew, that's, knew the sign was the work of the same anonymous perpetrator. She also, saw the I have, sign? I have, a, I have faith that Dakota also wouldn't have suggested it. You know, if it was a repeat. So that's like a third source that we could be like, well, it's uh, your fault. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this lady saw the sign. She opened up her eyes. She saw the sign. Sign, yep. Yeah. Uh, that music video is weird. Guys, take a break from the podcast. <laughs> Pause. Pause. Play the video. Come back. In the letters, the person had warned her that messages would be posted publicly. Gillespie, annoyed, picked up the sign in the peculiar post used to hold it, taking the entire setup back on the bus and going about her work. That evening, she inspected the sign more closely. She opened a small container on the post. Inside was a 25 caliber handgun. Ugh. Soon, Gillespie would learn that the person who had spent years harassing her had intended for her to rip the sign down in anger, and when she did, the gun was rigged to go off. Bump, bump. That's a, such a shitty trap. Yeah, this is like a shit Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> shit, shit Riddler's my new That's like... That's my favorite my, golf <laughs> player. It's my... It's my... Uh, my... What's the... Not Cloodle. What's the name of the game where you put all... You get to make up the name in school? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. <laughs> ka I don't know. Whatever. Remember Viva Kablam? <laughs> <laughs> no. You don't remember the action figures back in the 90s on Nickelodeon? Wait. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Viva Kablam, dude. I don't know why I don't know why it came into my head just now. Do you remember this show? Are Wait, you Googling? Was it Kablam or Viva Kablam? Oh no, I think it was just Kablam. I don't think I think I added Viva. <laughs> Viva Kablam sounds sick. <laughs> no, okay, Kablam was the show I'm thinking of. Yeah, 
where they had like weird action fig. Anyway, this is we are so f- off topic. <laughs> uh. Anyway, I think Viva La Bam is like a Bam Margera thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, com- I combined that with Kabam. I know that one. <laughs> Anyway, with a current population of around 14,000 people, Circleville, Ohio is not a place large enough to harbor many secrets. Roughly 25 miles south of Columbus, it's home to manufacturing companies, Ohio Christian University, and a water water tower painted like a pumpkin. (laughs) Sheesh! (laughs) The town has a sense of neighborly intimacy. Oh, baby. (laughs) Yeesh! Sheesh! A A closeness that the Circleville letter writer made a target of scorn. In the summer of 1976, Mary Gillespie received a letter postmarked in Columbus that had no signature and no return address. It asserted that Mary was having an affair with the West Falls School District Superintendent, Gordon Massey, and warned her to stop. I know where you live, read one of the mornings. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. The more I read this, the more it does sound familiar. There is a (laughs) solid chance we've talked about this. <laughs> but you know what? This is like the director's this cut is the where we Taylor's talk about. Version. Yeah, this is Taylor's version uh <laughs> where we talk about Viva Kablam. I hope it can you make the title of the actual podcast Taylor's version? <laughs> okay, I will. Done. <laughs> Soon her husband Ron began receiving letters too, demanding that he go to the school board with the information or risk being killed. Mary assured Ron the allegation was false. They decided to remain silent and hope the letter writer stopped. But the person didn't. Within weeks, more threats arrived, this time cautioning that if Mary didn't end the affair, it would be disclosed on CB radio and billboard ads. Wow, what a, wait. What a, those all same sound really traceable. I was going to say, <laughs> who placed the ad? We got it. Oh, I guess maybe they just mean they'll spray paint over an ad. That's probably. possible. Maybe an ad for Kablam. Viva Kablam, baby. <laughs> they add Viva to the beginning. Yep. At that point, the Gillespies decided to disclose the harassment to their family. They told Karen, Ron's sister, and her husband, Paul Freshour, an employee at a local Anheuser-Busch plant who was once a prison guard and had survived a harrowing 30-hour ordeal as a hostage when inmates briefly took over the Ohio State Penitentiary in August of 1968. Weird extra detail thrown in there about this I guy. like it. Speaking with the Freshours, Mary said that she had a suspect in mind, David Longberry a bus driver who had once made a pass at her. Maybe, she thought, Longberry was feeling jilted and wanted to taunt her. It was agreed that Paul would write a letter to Longberry to demonstrate that Gillespie knew what he was doing and to stop immediately. For a little while, the letter stopped, and then the signs appeared. To their dismay, Mary and Ron Gillespie began seeing signs posted around town that made claims that Gordon Massey, the superintendent, was romantically involved with the Gillespie's 12-year-old daughter, Tracy. Ew! Yikers. Oh, it's like Carl Malone. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Uh, reportedly, Ron drove around town early in the morning to tear the signs down before Tracy could see them. Good for you, Ron. Ronnie! Run, Ronnie, run. Ronnie. Ronnie from the three-point line. The harassment campaign no doubt angered Ron. On August 19th, 1977, he received a phone call at their home. The caller declared he was observing the Gillespie house and that he knew what Ron's truck looked like. Ron, furious, told his family he thought he recognized the caller's voice and raced out the door with the intention of confronting him. He brought along a gun. 
Was it inside a sign? <laughs> it shot a sign out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking deadly. Sign gun. Moments later, a shot was fired, but no perpetrator was hurt. Instead, it was Ron Gillespie who lay dead behind the wheel in his truck. No one else was in sight. <gasps> Shaka Authorities, including Pickaway County Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe, failed to find any bullet casing on the scene. Ron Gillespie had been drinking. His blood alcohol content was 0.16, twice the legal limit. Absent any hard evidence to the contrary, Radcliffe con- concluded that Ron had driven himself into a tree by accident. Uh? <laughs> Oh, fuck! And just right off the road. <laughs> yeah. And then the tree was like, you hit me! Bang, bang, bang! <laughs> <laughs> Trees be wild these yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> steer clear of that tree neighborhood. Yeah. Um, the relatives found that hard to accept, asserting that Ron wasn't known to be a heavy drinker. But police didn't seem convinced anyone else was to blame. Radcliffe told Paul Freshour that one person of interest, whom he didn't name, was questioned, but he passed a polygraph test. Nice. Poggers graph test, more like, am I right? <laughs> High fives. All around. People in this story have great names. Yeah, they do. The Gillespies, the Fresh Hours, the Pog Daddies, or whatever the other one. <laughs> whole gang. Yeah, the whole gang. Soon more letters began arriving, this time to other residents in and around Circleville that presented the idea Ratcliffe was engaged in some kind of cover-up regarding Ron's death and that Mary and Gordon Massey were responsible for killing him. Ron's death wasn't the only change in, Mar- in Mary's life. Paul and Karen Freshour were divorcing, and Mary allowed Karen to move into a trailer on Mary's property. At some point after Ron's death, Mary also admitted that she actually had had an affair with Massey, but it had started after the letters began arriving, not before. Whoa. <laughs> so that means, it, 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 this means... Wait a minute. If you're over there... <laughs> then who's in the house? Me, I. Oh, Phil, you haven't said anything so far this episode. Yeah, I mean, I've been busy. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> don't, don't ask. Gotta get hot cars ready for summer, baby. Hot cars in the summer. Hot cars in the city. Wow, Phil, that was a cool. That's a cool song. Oh, I want him to do more of the song. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next episode, Scones. Uh, he's he already left. <laughs> Ron, um, it was a strange admission, but not quite as strange as what had happened along her bus route on February seventh, nineteen eighty-three. After Mary confiscated the booby-trapped sign that had seemingly been set up to fire the gun, she once she pulled the trigger down, or pulled the message down, Radcliffe and the authorities started trying to trace ownership of the firearm. The serial number had been filed off, but they were able to secure enough to identify who it belonged to. Is that all it really takes? Hey, man. To make a gun not traceable is just to scrub scrub off uh, some serial numbers? Yeah, I don't know. That seems... I I mean, that's what they do in the movies, so... I don't know. In doing so, it seemed assured that the owner of the weapon would also be the person behind the letter. The gun belonged to Paul Freshour. Oh, freshy showers. Fresh hour, hot shower. Both Mary Gillespie and the police were stumped. Why fresh hour? Throughout the investigation and on through his eventual criminal trial, no one could explain exactly what motivated fresh hour to threaten his in-laws. 
and while Freshour maintained his innocence, the evidence against him was hard to ignore. After after being released in $50,000 bond, Freshour voluntarily checked himself into the mental health center at Riverside Hospital because he wanted to be examined, possibly to help with a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. The plea was later dropped. Later, a co-worker at Anheuser... <laughs> I just like reading parentheticals with that voice. Later, a co-worker at Anheuser-Busch named Wesley Wells testified that Fresh Hour had purchased the gun from him for $35. Wow, what a... Do you want uh, a Call of Duty DLC or do you want a thing that can kill a man? Yeah, welcome to America. <laughs> That's your choice, brother. <laughs> while, while personnel records show that Fresh Hour had... <laughs> Fresh hour at Deke in the documents from February 7th. Um, While personnel records showed that Fresh Hour had taken a day off from work on February 7th, the same day Mary discovered the booby trap, even more compelling was the fact that handwriting samples taken from Fresh Hour's employment file were, according to handwriting experts, a match for 391 of the letters and 103 postcards sent to Gillespie's and other local residents. In total, over a thousand letters had been sent across southern Ohio. Many yo, of them, yo, Ohio, I'm hey, walking here. It's a lot of letters to pack, okay? Hey, it's a, it's a lot of letters. Uh, uh, many of them complaining about political corruption. Some contained arsenic. Holy chachi wachi shasha. Uh, Can you fresh kill it? someone with like that with arsenic? Arsenic? Or is it what? just like eat? This letter. Eat dirt, nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Arsenic splash. Uh, That's a t-shirt, gang. Get the eat dirt, nerd, arsenic splash (laughs) t-shirt now. Um, It's it's just an arsenic-addled squirtle spraying (laughs) spraying out a little bit of juice. Just a rough shape. Just little little squirty riddled nick. Getting, Isn't there uh, a bunch of arsenic in peach pits? Um, uh, what? <laughs> I'm not legally allowed to comment. <laughs> <laughs> My lawyer said, don't say nothing. So I started a pod. <laughs> um, so Fresher admitted that he bought the gun, but didn't know what happened to it, which is crazy. <laughs> He also said, if I bought a, okay, if I was a gun owner, which I'm not, but I, in the future, who knows, you know, I've got a, I've got a daughter and when she gets a boyfriend, I'm going to need to intimidate him in some way. I would never lose, I would know where it is at all times. Wouldn't, right? <laughs> Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Responsible gun owners have a gun safe. Yeah. It's like a baby that you they, can the kill The guns with. are in there. Right. He also said Radcliffe had simply asked him to try and copy samples of the offending letters, which is just what why would someone be like do it again dude would it be sick if you copied these letters that would make you very guilty match the handwriting better (laughs) fresh hour was indicted by a grand jury in march 1983 and set for trial in october 1983 it lasted one week the jury needed just two and a half hours to return a verdict of guilty on the charge of attempted murder using a firearm that was either in Fresh Hour's possession or under his control. He was formally not charged with writing any letters, though 39 were admitted into evidence. I was going for like a small chipmunk. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> okay, Judge William Ammer sentenced him to 7 to 25 years, which is a large uh, discrepancy. Uh, the Circleville mystery didn't end there. Even as Fresh Hour was imprisoned, sometimes even in solitary confinements, the letters continued to come to residents. Death Note style. Even Fresh Hour oh. received 
<laughs> Even Freshour received one, taunting him after a parole hearing had concluded without allowing him early release. Quote, Now when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago. When we set them up, they stay up. Don't you listen at all? <laughs> Sounds Wait, like a... so did... So what? He got set up? He got a letter and it said that. Uh, I don't think it says... I don't know what it means, to be so honest. The letter's right. This guy didn't do the original... Well, the fact that the letters are still happening make you think he's fine. Right, but this copycat offenders. Copycat, the Riddler. <laughs> or this guy has an insane contingency plan. That's true. Maybe he's just a real... He's like, I'm like 20 steps ahead. Fresh Hour was paroled in 1994 and continued to insist he had nothing to do with the letters. If he was guilty, his motivations for writing them remain puzzling. One theory is that he felt he was demonstrating loyalty to his wife, Karen, whose brother Ron may have known about Mary's affair. One Mary, uh, did not, uh, when Mary denied took place until after Ron's death and wanted to help both of them co covertly cover it. Well, wanted to help both of them covertly put an end to it. But the fresh hour marriage seems strained. Divorce filings in Columbus included allegations made by Karen that Paul was physically abusive and prone to a violent temper. Perhaps Karen, spiteful over a divorce that ended with Paul receiving custody of their kids, wanted to frame him, though it's not clear why she would risk killing Mary Gillespie in the process. There was one lead that police were criticized for failing to follow up on. According to another bus driver working the day Mary discovered the booby trap, a yellow El Camino was parked at the intersection. And a man we, Have we fucking talked about this? <laughs> um, is this because we talked about... Did we then bring up... Uh, Yo, El Camino sounds so fucking familiar. It does sound familiar. It sound, <laughs> I feel like I would have said something about Clint Eastwood. Let me check the Patreon. Hold on. Maybe it's a Patreon episode. That would explain why we cannot remember it. <laughs> and if so, audience, enjoy. Taylor's uh, version. <laughs> Taylor's version. It does sound familiar. This all, either this was a recording we did not put out, or this is an episode we have definitely talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Part two, the remix. Dude, I don't... I genuinely don't know. You know what it might be? We might have recorded this almost at the same time as the other letters, thinking it was possibly going to be one episode, but then the other letters went so long oh, that we cut it. Oh, you might be right. So, gang... Let us know if this has been talked about before, close. but I think you're right. Because we've definitely spoken about this, but I don't know if it was ever released. Anyway. Um, so Yellow El Camino was parked at the intersection and a man who looked nothing like Fresh Hour was standing nearby pretending to urinate. The man was never identified. Uh, Fresh Hour died in 2012. No new evidence has come to light in the Circleville Letters case. If it was Fresh Hour, he certainly abandoned the practice once he received a prison sentence. If there were copycats or accomplices, they too stopped the letters as they dried up in the early 1990s. They just dried up? Yeah, they're like, oh, bye. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> that was the man pretending to urinate. In 2021, the CBS program 48 Hours asked former FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole and forensic document expert Beverly East to examine the letters. O'Toole said she didn't think Fresh Hour was the culprit based on the impression she got of a controlling, vindictive letter writer traits, or vindictive letter writer, traits that Fresh Hour's relatives insist don't fit him. Ooh. But East pointed to the letter G, which resembles the number six in many of, many of the Circleville letters, as well as Fresh Hour's own handwriting, 
a telling and perhaps incriminating detail. Obviously, such belie- a bummer. Yeah. East believes Fresh Hour wrote the letters. The show also identified Fresh Hour's fingerprints on some of the letters that were sent while he was in prison. A seeming, a seeming contradiction no one seems able to explain. So, yeah, did he like... Right. How 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 he do that? Oh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Fresh Hour, how you do it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, me neither. Maybe he's got a twin. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those like friggin' uh, magician movies. As far as the police are concerned, what, what magician movies of twins? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. It's a spoiler. If you know, you know. Two thousand and five. I think I can only. What What are magician movies? <laughs> what are magician movies about magicians, baby? How many I got the whole they? collection. There's the you prestige. Uh huh. You nailed it. <laughs> now you see me, and I think that's it. Uh, now you see me too. Now you don't. <laughs> uh, is that a real movie? <laughs> well, there is now you see me too. Was it uh, good? See, see you again. Um, no, I didn't see it. I did not see me too. <laughs> anyway, as far as the police are concerned, the case remains closed. In a 1978 article that in the Dayton Daily News commemorating the 10th anniversary of the Ohio State Penitentiary riots, Freshour was asked if he suffered any lingering emotional damage from being held captive. He claimed he didn't, though said people often asked if he had become an alcoholic, saw a psychiatrist, Just or, out had of nowhere. Any, or had any lasting effects. There was nothing wrong with Paul Freshour, nothing he could point out. I still have nightmares every once in a while, Freshour said. I dream about what may ha- what might have been and what was, but considering it all, I feel I am lucky that I am as well adjusted as I am, considering how close I came to death. And that, my dear boy, is the Circleville Letters. Oh, Scooby Dooby Doo. So this that is our was... Taylor's version. If it's if we've talked about this before, you know, that it'd be like that. <laughs> Sometimes you, you, we, if I, I just feel like I didn't see it. Uh, but some of the things we talked about sound familiar, and I think it might have been a recording that we never actually put out. So instead, here you are. Shit happens. Hey, S H I T H A P P E N S, baby. <laughs> spell that out. Put that in your pipe and spell it. You well, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, check out Monday morning <laughs> Just kidding. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, That didn't even come out like him. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, check out MondayMorningMacabre.com, MMMacabre on Twitter, MondayMorningMacabre on Instagram, and do all the stuff. It's I'm going to lie down on a hard surface to help my back. I've been taking muscle relaxants all day, so I'm a little bit extra uh, looperonied. Feeling loose. Viva Kablam. Go watch Viva Kablam. And if you're watching Nick at Night, keep it right. Have a good Monday. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.